0: strong voices it's not just about one state it's not just about one community it's about all of our communities the issues that face indigenous peoples around the world sit at the heart of the questions that we're asking about the future of our political
1: order i am here and now and i speak my language i practice my cultural essence of me What we do need is a more
0: critical race consciousness in this country, a preparedness to talk about race, to talk about the way in which racialised logic are inscribed upon our bodies, and to critically examine them in order to change
2: it. The government's changed, but we've got to be still here. We're always going to be still here. We've been here for 65,000 years, and I don't think we're going to go anywhere.
0: What the system still struggles with is this collaboration with First Nations people.
2: A strong voice is an Aboriginal voice. Hello,
3: good morning and welcome once again to Strong Voices. It's of course just after 11 o'clock. Uh, my name's Kyle Dowling, I'm your host for the program today. We're coming to you, of course, from the Calm Radio Studios here on Arundra Country in Central Australia Bantu Alice Springs. And we're also, of course, going right across the nation on Vast Channel 911. We're also coming to you via the Karma website online at kama.com.au. Today is uh, Thursday, the 3rd of October, and uh, we've once again, of course, got a Strong Voices program packed out for you this morning. Uh, coming up on the show today, a life-saving service, uh, which is that's what it's been described as. That's the custody notification service, which was a significant recommendation of the 1991 Royal Commission to Aboriginal Deaths in Custody has finally been implemented in Western Australia. This comes off the back of uh, years of recommendations as well as lobbying from various different groups as well. Uh, we're going to be hearing from the Aboriginal Legal Service of Western Australia, who will be, uh, whose solicitors will actually be manning the line of the Custody Notification Service. The CEO uh, of the organisation, Dennis uh, Eggington, will be joining us this morning to share his thoughts about the importance of the service, what impacts he hopes that's going to have, and talking a bit about what other measures might be needed as well in the state in order to ensure that mob aren't coming into contact with the prison systems. Also, we're going to be hearing from Northern Territory Opposition Leader Gary Higgins of the uh, Country Liberals who will be joining us to discuss the uh, National Aboriginal Art Gallery, the Territory Elections, fracking, mining and other issues uh, relevant to the mob this morning as well. We're, of course, as well, going to be hearing the latest in Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander news from right across the country as well with a wrap. But before all of that, we are going to go to a track and then we'll be right back with our first story. Dear Mob, this is Patrick Johnson and you're listening to Strong Voices. Be deadly and stay deadly. We're going to be heading into our first story of Strong Voices now. After years of lobbying, recommendations and the tragic death of Yamaji woman Miss Jew, police in Western Australia must now call the Custody Notification Service whenever an Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander person is arrested or, de- or detained. Under the changes, calls were made to a solicitor at the Aboriginal Legal Service of Western Australia who will provide legal advice while also checking on the person's welfare. The move was a recommendation of the Royal Commission into Aboriginal Deaths in Custody, which published its final report back in 1991. The Western Australian Minister for Police, Michelle Roberts, said this is an overdue reform and will provide appropriate safeguards for Indigenous people in custody and also for police I spoke with Dennis Eggington, the chief executive officer of the Aboriginal Legal Services of Western Australia, who explains why the custody notification is why the custody notification service is needed.
4: Well, there's there's a number of really important reasons. The first one is that in WA we lock up per capita more Aboriginal people in Australia in fact, I think our imprisonment rates in WA are some of the highest in the world. So There's this need to make sure that if there's huge numbers of our people coming through the justice system for whatever reason, then uh, people can quickly get assessed, get legal advice, and of course, uh, it can save lives. It's certainly a a recommendation of the Royal Commission some nearly 30 years ago, so it's taken a long, long time, but evidence is, is that it does save lives, and when you've got such a volume of people coming through your jail systems and Lockup systems and police lockups and others. Then it's essential, particularly I think over the last number of years, there's been such a high profile numbers of people that have died in custody. Uh, Mister Ward, of course, uh, Mister Jew, come to mind. Um, and really, had there been a notification system in place, they would still be alive today. So it's going to save lives, and I think that's the main focus.
3: And in terms of the role of the Aboriginal Legal Service of W, what role are you going to be playing in terms of the delivery of this service and supporting these people?
4: Well, we'll run a notification line 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So we've got lawyers and field workers that will operate the phones. And the glorious part about it, or the most exciting part about these notification services are they. They're um, legislated in law, so it's not just at the discretion of the police officer whether they get called. They have to, by law, they have to call us. So our role really will be um, to give uh, legal advice and then to do health checks and make sure that the social needs of the person are being looked after. And that could mean whether or not, in our opinion, they should go and see a doctor, whether or not the person being um, held in custody is going to uh, need medication. So it's a sort of a holistic service and because it's uh, mandated by legislation then it has to be done. So that's the nuts and bolts of it. All services to Aboriginal people should be by Aboriginal people and I think that uh, because we've got the legal expertise is there as well it it needed to be the Aboriginal legal service but it's just a general rule. This country needs to know that service delivery to Aboriginal people has to be by Aboriginal people and an Aboriginal organisation. And in uh, in this case, um, we're uh, the largest in the WA, we're statewide, so um, it was just appropriate that uh, uh, we were brought into the equation
3: as we saw in Western Australia, we saw the, the moves in terms of the introduction of the bill towards, you know, changes to do with uh, fines as well with people coming into contact and, and going into prison, obviously now with the custody notification service. Are there, are there any other particular changes that you think need to happen in, in terms of helping to keep the mob out of prison?
4: Oh, yeah, I mean, policing activities in general. You know, there is a t- tendency in WA to to be over-policed and I think that... that um, there needs there could be um, uh, you know trials of, of cautions instead of immediately going for an arrest. There could be um, some flexibility around driving licences as far as countrymen being able to drive in their own areas without having to even have a licence because once the once you get breached for your licence, then you actually can go to um, uh, to jail if you're caught driving, and so. I think if we then revisit the recommendations of the royal commission and really push for all of those recommendations to be fully implemented then some of those things will will work but it's I'm currently in Georgia and I'm up here because uh, a lady here was shot by the police and and died and the thing that sticks out to me is that people are neglected they're just left and I don't know why Australia's society treats us First Peoples like the way they do so yeah policing matters are important Royal Commission important but the real important one I think Kyle is the relationship that the settler society has with us us First Peoples and it's and it's it's one that needs to be fed in a partnership and there needs to be some kind of genuine uh, need to have a a better relationship, a more meaningful relationship. It's only when you, uh, you know, when you care about people, then you don't go around shooting them. Some of the issues here in this town that I'm in now are just appalling housing, absolutely appalling housing. And there is a connection between over-representation in suicides in state housing. So while we're talking about some some good improvements around custody notification, find defaults. The real big ticket is that to reset the relationship so that the vast majority of Australians actually care what happens to us at the moment. I don't see much care and um, therefore people are getting away with treating us the way they do and imprisoning, imprisoning us the way they do.
3: That was uh, Dennis Eggington, there, the Chief Executive Officer of the Aboriginal Legal Service of Western Australia. We'll be hearing shortly from the uh, Leader of the Northern Territory Opposition, Gary Higgins, very soon. But before then, here's a track from uh, Alice Sky.
2: G'day, folks. This
4: is Kutcher Edwards, and you're listening to Our Strong Voices here on Karma Radio.
3: Well, Paul Wiles recently sat down with the Northern Territory Opposition Leader, Gary Higgins, to discuss the big ticket uh, items here in the Northern Territory, such as the National Aboriginal Art Gallery, as well as fracking and other issues as well that are impacting the mob. He's the first part of their conversation.
1: Politics in the Territory, we can all be critical. CLP had a good run, Labor's in government at the moment uh, doing it tough as any government uh, has found historically the territory is a, a different beast and um, we do and have in the past relied heavily on federal government money to uh, help us get by but growing economies and uh, keeping the balance or uh, keeping promises isn't as easy as what it's uh, made out to be.
0: Yeah, look, and I think one of the things that sort of has annoyed me in the past with politics is politicians making commitments that they then can't meet. And if I'll give you an example of that, before I was elected in 2012, I was having some discussions with um, some traditional owners in my electorate, and they said to me, Gary, what are you going to promise us? And I said, look, I can promise you cars if they promise you cars. I can promise you buildings if they promise you buildings. And I said, but in actual fact, you know, those promises never come true. And I said, but one thing I will guarantee, and that is I'll be a strong voice for you. And that's all. That's what I've always tried to do. And I think the other issue there, of course, is that I also said to them, it's not a matter of what I can do for you. It's more like, what do you want me to do for you? It, it's sort of reversing it, and um, that's the way I, I did the. Well, the whole time I've been in politics, it's you know I hate going out and saying to people what I can give you. It's more asking, and that led to a lot of arguments with my side of politics when I was here at the time. But I just stood my ground on a few issues and said, this is what the locals want. They don't want what you're saying. This is what they want. And, uh, you know, I stood pretty firm on that.
1: Remoteness issues are are, are across the territory, but um, remote Central Australian Aboriginal communities right over to the border, right down to the South Australian border. The communities aren't going anywhere. And a, a big... Uh, topic of conversation is sustainability. Now, I know that um, previous Chief Minister Adam Giles uh, did turn uh, CLP thinking round a little bit about dealing with the mob. I'm not quite sure within the party now how things have changed, but uh, the mob aren't going anywhere. You know you have mob in your electorate. Sustainability, actually creating a community where young people can grow up find a job and be contributing members to their community and feel that they've achieved something? How is the CLP working towards that?
0: Look, I think one of the things you've got to do is, as I've said before, you've got to listen to people and see what they want. But one of the things that I've found a lot of them want is they want development on their own land. And um, we need to find ways that that can happen. And a lot of the criticism always comes and it says, oh, it's too hard to negotiate, et etc." Et and I think what you've got to do is get ahead of that curve. So, in other words... I know that I've spoken to Indigenous people, I've organised to have soil and water sampling done and mapping of where the good soils and waters are, etc. And that, that needs to occur all across the Territory in all of the Indigenous land to see what the potential is. Government's role then should be to set up that to, say, 90% of the way through in negotiating that through the, the Land Rights Act, so that when you get potential investors coming along that have got money to fund some of these bigger projects, that... You've already got land that's available to them and say, look, this this community wants this developed. That's going to create jobs for them. This is what they want out of it. Um, here is a, a shell of an agreement. So that's just one thing that, that you can do, and that'll sort of set up – if you speak to Indigenous people – they don't want to just sit around and sit on their land and have nothing. They want jobs. They care about what's going to happen to their kids in the future. And, and the thing is, we shouldn't be waiting for investors to come and do that. We should be helping Indigenous people get there and facilitate it. Government already does that with mining companies. We map the whole of the Territory and say what potential there is in certain places. So why aren't we doing it with the other land that we've got, the Indigenous land and, and other ways of doing it, like agriculture, etc.?
1: We are moving towards the next territory election. The CLP has been rebuilding and in all of the regional centers throughout the northern territory. How has that been going that process? look I,
0: I think actually in the regional areas it's been a lot better than than you might think, Um, you know, and I think the outcome that we got here in Alice Springs, I think is uh, evidence of that, that you've got some good candidates putting their their names forward. Um, People have always said, you know, why haven't you pre-selected earlier? Well, the issue with pre-selecting too early is that some people are not Necessarily confident in putting their name up today because they've got a business that deals with government or whatever, so they don't want a big, you know, CLP stamp on their forehead. But I can assure you, there's a lot of people have said they would love to run, but they can't nominate, you know, till sometime next year. So that's one side of it. The other side is, of course, when you've got a whole stack of new candidates like that, um, they have to be sort of briefed on you know, what their, what their party thinks on certain issues. You you can't just have someone go out there and just make up their own policy on the fly. So, so the thing is, for a, a team of two like Leah and I, we have to ensure that all of us form that team and have got the same views on things. And um, one of the things we'll be doing down here is that we're meeting with the candidates down here to try, try and start, we have a, a wing, which is every elected member is a, a member of the wing if you're in that party. So we're actually getting those candidates to come and have that meeting with Leah and I. And that's where we discuss policy issues, um, You know what we're going to raise in parliament, etc but it's also an opportunity for the candidates to learn some of that pluses as as well so well, gary leah how do we how do we sort of tap into your knowledge and and that so it's a matter of how you start to educate these people in the in the political i can i can assure you when everyone thinks they know what politics is about but when you get there it's a complete eye-opener i can tell you so
1: there has been some criticism of one of the candidates, maybe a conflict of interest. When we look at the uh, location of the National Indigenous Art Gallery here in Alice Springs, I don't know how to describe it. It's been a total Dog's chaos. Dog's
0: breakfast, yeah.
1: Um, but uh, how would the CLP have done that and would the CLP have actually put it in Alice Springs?
0: I always wondered. in Alice Springs. It was a project that I started as the Arts Minister. I did the announcement on it. Um, yes, I had a lot of support from uh, Adam Giles, the Chief Minister at the time, to do it. Um, We always wanted it in Alice Springs. It's the centre of Australia. It's the centre of Indigenous culture as far as I'm concerned. The big issue is that the government made the mistake right at the beginning when it had the report from their committee and that was that they didn't like any of the options in that report and the thing was they changed it. The issue there, of course, is if you establish a committee... You, go, you want to listen to what the committee is going to recommend, and once you pick one of those options, if people criticise you, the committee is to blame. But when the government changes the committee recommendation, the government is to blame.
1: This uh, National Indigenous Art Gallery, South Australia Adelaide are already up and running, um, it, it was a unique opportunity to have, uh, you know, the runs on the board. I mean, they were three years ahead of Adelaide, even though the government's saying that uh, there's room for more than one Aboriginal art gallery in Australia. I I still think they have to admit that they've they've dropped the ball and it could have been done better. Again, when we start looking at growth for the First Nations peoples across the Territory, getting it right early on is important.
0: Yeah, look, and I think that's something we'd look at straight away we 've had meetings with the South Australian Government. I was down there um, oh, if I said as soon as they made the decision not to follow the committee report, I was in Adelaide meeting with the Premier down there, and he had carriage of theirs. We did a tour of all the stuff that they had, and there was a lot of discussion around how that would fit with us here in the territory and and they were of the opinion that yes, they all should be working together um and that they recognize that central australia is key to that and i think going forward there's still the opportunity there to work with them they're quite happy to work with us but it would seem that i think it's got to the point now where the territory government just wants to play politics with it they're playing politics with our side of politics and they're playing politics with the with the council the the council didn't ask for the fight the government was the one that came along and said, we want you to give up your council chambers and we'll build it there. Well, the council didn't make that suggestion. (laughs) You know, so they were the ones that started that fight. And in true, like, honesty, I, I sort of think from a political point of view, they probably don't even want to build it there. They just wanted to create a distraction and an argument. And that's what they've done. They knew they would get it. And now they think they've got someone else to blame. That
3: was uh, Gary Higgins, the Opposition Leader of the Northern Territory. Uh, speaking with Karmas Paul Wiles, we're going to go to a quick break now and then we'll wrap right back with the second part of that conversation.
0: You're listening to Strong Voices on Calmer Radio. <laughs>
3: well, just earlier we heard from uh, Northern Territory Opposition Leader Gary Higgins. The next Northern Territory election is on the 22nd of August 2020. He's uh, the second part of the conversation Karmas Paul Wiles had with Mr Higgins.
1: Gary, again, on the next Territory election, uh, First Nations candidates for the CLP. So I don't get involved in the actual pre-selection. I do talk to a lot of
0: people and encourage them to nominate. If you look at the recommendations that came out of the review from the 2016 election, there was a clear recommendation in there to get more Indigenous people involved and that's something that we have been doing i think when we get around to some of the final selections you'll see that some of those names will will come out and i've sort of indicated before that you know there is some people that have expressed an interest and you know i think that we will have some very good candidates and i was actually talking to someone yesterday and um you know said look come in and talk to me i've had a a, A few people come in and specifically have meetings with me in regard to their thinking of becoming involved and just asking what it does involve. How much does it put on your your family life? How much does it cost you financially to do it? Which to me is encouraging. I've always said to the party right from the start you know, you've got technically 23 electorates where you're going to need people. And you need to be very wary that a lot of people are very opportunistic and you need to make sure that we get the right people. My view is if you haven't got the right person, don't pre-select. Don't ever be embarrassed about saying, no, we're not going to run someone in that that seat. You know, we, we just haven't been able to get the right person.
1: In the top end, um, you've had uh, a former Chief Minister talking about starting a, another party. From where you're sitting at the moment, how do you think all this is going to pan out? If I actually said I don't lose any sleep
0: over some people wanting to start their own party, I mean, I'd at the beginning of this term, I apologised for the, the carryings on of the previous government. And uh, I made a commitment to just work for the Territory, which is what I've I've done. I haven't worried about people wanting to become the opposition leader. I haven't worried about people wanting to start political parties. I've just concentrated on on what I should be doing for Territorians and speaking about what Territorians want, not what politicians want, and not what parties they want to start. I, to me, that's. That's why people have a a less than complimentary view of a lot of politicians. That's talking about yourselves. You need to talk about the Territory.
1: Financial sustainability of the Territory being non-progressive as far as mining, trying to keep that balance. Again, it is a big issue. I mean, we know that the Northern Territory has uh, huge amounts of uh, mineral wealth, but environmental sustainability. How do you balance the books in that department?
0: Well, I think what you've got to do is you've got to find that balance between the environment and and development. You've got to make sure that whatever you're doing is, is going to be sustainable and does be detrimental to the environment. I think I've got pretty good credentials in that area. I mean, I spent a lot of time fighting in regard to the Daly River and the water issues around around that, so I've got a very good understanding of that. When we talk about the gas and, and you know, unconventional gas, I was the Environment Minister at the time and started the process of looking at all of the regulations and the, and the laws that were around that. And I set a timetable, I think, at that time of at least 12 months, if not 18 months, to do that. Review. So I know what concerns we did have in in going forward that way. I think what we've just got to do is make sure that we get the balance right and that you don't stifle private investment, but you've also got to ensure that you don't have an impact on the people that are here in the longer term and been here for hundreds of years as well. From a
1: federal perspective, because of the the gas in the Northern Territory, we've already seen it flagged that... uh, a coalition government uh, might just decide that they need that gas now. Where would you sit with that?
0: Look, I've always been a strong advocate. For the Territory. Um, I went to Canberra when we were talking about the uh, euthanasia issue and it wasn't euthanasia itself. It was the principle of the Commonwealth being able to override our our laws up here. And I stood with other members of the Parliament from opposite side as well as the independents when we went to Canberra and said, you know, that's just not fair. We're Territorians and um, we should be treated equal to any, any other citizen anywhere in Australia. And that's a view that I've held for years and I'll keep holding for years into the future. I spend a lot of time in Canberra. I spend as every opportunity when Parliament's sitting in Canberra and we're not sitting in the in the Territory, I always make sure we're down in Canberra. And I go down there not as a CLP person. I go down there as a Territorian. And um, over the, the last three years, you know, I've organised meetings not just with but um, for... Territory ministers and uh, people would remember. I organised meetings with um, Ken Vowles when he was the minister, and he he asked me, he said, "Gary, I haven't been able to get any meetings. Can you help me?" So I did, and we both went in into meetings. I have organised meetings for stakeholders or or put their case forward, as well as going down and putting our case forward for things like the money that was allocated to to Kakadu. I've been pushing that one for over two years, and to every minister to the point where. Where you'd go in and I'd say, Have I spoken to you about Kakadu? And they say, Yeah, yeah, Gary, we, we know about that one. The city's deal, I mean, I've copped a lot of criticism over that. But I speak about that every time I go down there. I'm going to be down there again in a couple of weeks and there'll be still the issues that I'll be looking at saying, well, let's bring this money forward. Let's try and help the economy up here. And it's, and it's not a matter of me saving those for election promises. It's saying, oh, I want it now because the Territory needs it now. I, I don't want it later just to win the election. That's not my driving force.
1: There has been a lot of talk of investors looking at solar... Where's the CLP sitting with that and are you keen to progress that?
0: Look, um, I think solar energy's got a lot of potential here in the Territory, but the way it's being touted is not how it will end up. I mean, if the Territory converts to, you know, 50% renewables, as in solar, you still have to maintain your turning generation that's there or the turning power that's there to provide 100% of our power. So we have to build power stations that'll either run off gas or diesel or or whatever that are, that are going to power the territory 100%. Your solar will only be there while the sun's shining and while you can go to batteries, the cost of battery technology, you know, you've got to sort of say, well, how much does it cost to produce it and really is it going to decrease our carbon footprint? And the answer is probably at this point no and the cost, you know, just doesn't, doesn't come come up to sort of making it economically viable there are obviously a
1: a, a large amount of uh, big companies out there keen to get back into the territory will you be keen to assist them
0: look I think um, when we talk about you know gas you know in the in the territory it's got a onshore gas to us is where we would actually get our royalties. The the offshore gas, like the E and I project, and, and impacts to a, even though impacts its its source is really off Western Australia, but our royalties don't come from offshore gas. It, it, that is given to the Commonwealth, and that's where you know some of the funding to the land councils goes. But Onshore gas is the Territories own, and, and and we collect a lot of those royalties. So there's a lot of potential there, but again, you've got to find the, the balance between where you have that development and what impact it's got on the environment compared to the income that you might get out of it. The amount of gas we got is, you know, we're talking over 200 years' supply, and the thing is that you could try and get all of that out of the ground at any one point in time, but you, you've got to have a market for it, and it's just not going to happen the the ability to move that gas around through pipelines and the infrastructure for roads, etc., is just going to take too long to set up. So you're not going to see hundreds and hundreds of wells all of a sudden overnight. It's um, got a lot of other infrastructure that's got to be done.
1: On that note, Gary Higgins, thanks for your time. Not a problem. Thank you. That was uh, Northern
3: Territory Opposition Leader Gary Higgins speaking with Kamers Paul Wales. We're going to be hearing the latest in Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander news from right across the country. Right after this.
2: What's up? You're listening to Strong Voices on Karma Radio.
3: (laughs) That's right, you are listening to Strong Voices on Karma Radio. And now I'm very happy to say that I'm joined in the studio by Karma's Damien Williams. Good morning, Damien.
2: Good morning, Carl, and good morning to all our listeners.
3: Well it is of course time once again for the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander news from across the country. I understand you have a story this morning in regards to our native title in New South Wales, Damien?
2: Yeah, this report from the ABC states that uh, the Barkindji native title holders in far west New South Wales say they are learning to speak the language of government as they propose a major cross-agency organisation to manage the Darling River or Barker. The proposed Barker Water Commission would include Include state and federal politicians, department heads and bureaucrats, and indigenous and non indigenous stakeholders as well. The name Barkanji translates to people of the Barker, who are granted native title over a huge area of the state's outback in 2015. The chief executive of the Barkindy Native Title prescribed body corporate, Derek Hardman, said the river had suffered because it had not been looked after in a holistic way by a range of state and federal authorities. Um, Yeah, so, uh, you know, the Native Title holders down there wanting to really, um, you know, take back the control and, and be able to get the river going back to what it was before as well.
3: And as we know, obviously, Aboriginal people maintaining country for for thousands and thousands of years. You would think that, uh, you know, having that Aboriginal voice at the table would be invaluable in terms of that process.
2: Yeah, exactly. And I mean, uh, you know, as we all know, back before, um, you know, Europeans arrived on the shores, the whole river system, you know, was sort of looked at at a whole on a holistic approach i mean you know upstream downstream it's all connected in a way and you know people up and down the river looked after it together and um yeah i just think trying to get back to that sort of not cutting off um the lower half of the river from yeah for for the people down south as well
3: and obviously you know while this river is often looked at from that economic point of view that that's not necessarily the case or not just the case for the mob obviously that that's something that's obviously very culturally significant to them as well,
2: yeah and like it's sort of like um I don't know cutting off a uh, you know a blood vessel to the country, the water is the blood of the country, and you know cutting off cutting it off up top is going to damage all the way down as well and yeah, looking at it as an economic sort of um, uh, thing wasn't really thought of by the mob down there. So it was just, you know, wanting to keep the river alive and, and everything just attached to it as well.
3: Mm. Well, let, let's hope, you know, we can obviously have all the voices at the table. I think it's important to get, like they were saying, you know, the... the Whether, you know, it's government involved in it, the traditional owners, farmers or whoever you may be, any sort of other stakeholders that are relevant in that, I think they all need to come together because obviously something needs to change.
2: Yeah, something needs to change, uh, you know, to get that river flowing back into the ocean again. Mm.
3: Well, on that note, Damien, thank you so much for joining us for the news from around the country. Thank you. Well, that's going to conclude uh, Strong Voices for another day. Uh, Thank you so much for tuning in to us uh, and thanks to all our special guests who have joined us throughout the week as well. Uh, If you missed any of the stories on Strong Voices today or wanted to listen back to them, you can head to our website. That's uh, www.karma.com.au for the stories there. And I'll also be posting up a podcast of uh, Strong Voices, this show today, up on Karma's SoundCloud as well. Also, make sure you check out our social media, our Facebook and Twitter as well. We've got a range of different stories going up in there as well as our uh, online news as well. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow with a roundup of the week where we we'll bring you some of the stories that played throughout this week on Strong Voices. Thank you once again for tuning in, and we'll be back the same time tomorrow.
4: Oh.